Welcome back to the Agile Coffee Podcast. My name is Vic Bonacci, and you can reach me on Twitter at Agile Coffee. Uh, today, very excited because I am going to be talking with some of my fellow compatriots who have been going through the, um, the path toward the Certified Scrum Trainer activities with me. So recently I became a certified scrum trainer, a CST for the Scrum Alliance. So now I can teach my own classes. How about that? If you are looking for any class, uh, whether it's the certified scrum master, uh, maybe you're a product owner, maybe you're looking for advanced level classes, uh, look at Rocket 9 Solutions and uh, you'll find that we've got great trainers great opportunities for um, getting in there now when we're uh, teaching virtual classes. We've got many discounts going on as well as uh, very flexible dates and times. So uh, reach out to rocket9solutions.com and see what we've got for you to become successful in your journey. All right. As I said, today we've got uh, a few guests here. I recorded this a few weeks back right after the period was done where they accepted uh, new rounds of certified trainers. Um, some of us made it. Some of us did not. And you're going to be hearing stories from, I guess there's about five of us on this podcast Hopefully, if you're going through your own journey, considering becoming a guide level with the Scrum Alliance, or you're just looking at what it takes to become a trainer in general, I think you'll find this next session pretty entertaining and ultimately useful. So with that, sit back, relax, and enjoy another fresh brew of Agile Coffee. Welcome to the Agile Coffee Podcast. My name is Vic Bonacci. This is episode 68, and I am joined by Martin Solias, Raj Mansuri, Savannah Riot, and Timon Fidike. And all of their LinkedIn's are their names. I'm sorry, all of their Twitters are their names. Uh, Raj, you're also at Agile Raj. Is that right? Right. Yes. That's, that's handy. Um, so welcome, everybody. Good morning. Good day to you. I realize we're uh, spread across, uh, let's see, Timon's in Europe, uh, Martin's in Argentina, Savannah and Roger on the East Coast, I'm on the West Coast of the U.S. Um, and we've all gotten to know each other in this journey of trying to um, become a, a certified Scrum trainer for the Scrum Alliance. Um, we, we put together, actually, Savannah, you told us the story right before we hit go here on how people came together to do this practicing uh, for the the kind of the final step of the journey, if you will, um, and then COVID hit, and we decided to make it um, all online. So you put this, uh, you put a Slack channel together uh, for us, and uh, I think I came on board back in March. Um, is that about right? Did I did I get that yeah, right? Yeah, March, April, around that time. Because normally um, the practice one, Andy runs it about two months prior to the actual tech interview. That so the rehearsal happens in Germany about two months prior every year. So yeah, yeah, and um, I took part in that one last year, November actually. No, no, not November. It must have been a bit earlier. I don't know, September or something. So so last year I took part in that in person, and um, over the last couple of years, um, some people who met there actually continued working together in person. And um, yeah, so when this one couldn't happen in person, um, 
yeah, I knew I had to practice more and then suggested that we do that and set up the Slack channel. And Tagi also, who's not here today, unfortunately, but Tagi mm. um, also jumped in and uh, also posted this quickly on the list that the Scrum Alliance set, set up for us to get together. Mm. And I guess this is probably where Martin and Vic... Yeah, I think that's where I did find you guys is in the uh, Scrum Alliance's list. Yeah, I remember seeing the, the Slack, then I joined the Slack, and I saw you were scheduling meetings to practice, and I was like crazy because all the, the first uh, meetings, I already had something else going on and couldn't participate, so as soon as I could, I jumped, I, I guess around mid-April or something like that. What I'd like to do is back up and kind of talk about broader strokes. Uh, what is a certified Scrum trainer and, and who kind of makes for a good trainer and, and how did we each kind of get interested in training? And Raj, you were starting to tell us a story before we hit record here. <laughs> um, do you want to tell us a story about maybe what drew you to the idea of becoming a certified Scrum trainer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was uh, fortunate enough to be um, working at Penn State University as a faculty member, and I was uh, teaching their technology courses. Uh, this is about 20, 21 years ago, uh, started at that time, and I was introduced to Scrum in 2011. And so I was teaching their um, some of their um, non-certified courses uh, in Scrum at that time, because I was already introduced to Scrum and I was uh, slowly transitioning from big, from project management to um, getting into Scrum. Um, so my journey has been, you know, since 2011, but my actual uh, desire to become a CSD was sometime around 2015, um, when I first went to the uh, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, the, the Scrum Alliance gathering. Um, and I, I met you at, um, uh, San Diego, Vic, uh, you were a co-chair at that time, and I, I remember I was volunteering for the Scrum Squad uh, with the red T-shirts on and uh, everything. Um, just uh, context, I, I was looking at uh, when I started my journey, um, it reminded me my daughter was 12 years old at that time. And now, this year, my daughter is going to be turning 21. Mm -hmm. So imagine the journey from where I started and where I'm going through that right now. So that's what my journey has been. But, you know, there's a lot more that I, I want to share, but I want others to also, it's, you know, share their. That's a great yeah. reminder that it's not just a personal journey. You're taking others with you. Yeah. Correct. Um, I yeah. remember even in the last few weeks and months when we were working, we had to schedule around when we had family time and when we wanted to dedicate to to being together here as a group so so as a developer long ago even before i got to know scrum i've already made the step from using my favorite technology to teaching my favorite technology and i've been doing that for some years and back then my trainings were completely different from what i do now back then i had my fixed agenda and a spreadsheet and um, most of the time people were happy with it until one time they burned and then I changed the agenda and then I more or less kept it the same <laughs> and I did some small tweaks here and there but it was much more rigid and planned out and everything and that worked quite well. People were happy anyway and maybe that's due to the topic that I was uh, teaching for slang 
back-end test-driven development stuff. Yeah, and then I worked in two different longer projects that both never made it to the market, which was very frustrating for me. And then in 2013, I worked in a project where things were very difficult and uncertain at the beginning, but we used Scrum and for the first time we did it properly and it worked super well. And we were able to release a big new complicated thing just in time for the big trade fair where it was going to be shown. And it was shown, it was sold, it was a huge success. And uh, yeah, so after that, it was completely clear for me that I wouldn't ever want to work in a setting that is not using Scrum or something similar. And uh, yeah, and also I had the experience of teaching before. So at that point in time, I thought, yeah, first I'm going to do this for a couple of years. And then later, then I'll probably want to teach, teach this as well, because this is what makes all the difference. Yeah, so, so then I worked as a developer, Scrum Master, Product Owner, and so on in all those different roles. And I had in the back of my mind that sooner or later I would... I might want to teach that because I like teaching so much. Um, yeah, but to teach something and to be able to do it well, you actually have to walk the talk first. And yeah, so that's what I did for a couple of years. And then in some couple of years later, I actually decided to yeah, really go on this journey. So Raj and Timon and, and myself all have teaching backgrounds. How about Martin and Savannah? Did you have any kind of teaching background? So I come from a family of professors, so my mom's very <laughs> separated. So my dad's side is all doctors. My mom's side is all pretty much college and university professors. So it was embedded in me early on that I had two careers, either wow. to medicine and be a doctor. My mom's side dream, my grandfather was like, she's going to be the next generation and she's going to be the teacher. And I was like, I did neither. And I was like, I'm going to go into IT. So I kind of rebelled from both sides until, you know, I inherently felt this like pull and it's kind of hard to explain unless you like feel it it's there's no words for it they're just the the aha moments that I personally get when I see my students having that is just it's 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 everything right I've had it where I was sick and I had a sore throat and I felt like I'm gonna die and I was like okay I went to the urgent care I was like give me a steroid shot I need to be on a flight I need to be in DC right now and Like, there isn't much that takes me out of the bed when I'm sick, but when it comes to teaching, man, nothing can keep me up, right? So that I knew that this was it. And it wasn't so much that Scrum is what I needed to teach. I just needed to teach. And two things that I love teaching is real estate and Scrum. And then years back, I brought the two together. Now I teach Scrum in real estate. So I kind of merged my two loves together. Yeah, my, my story goes way, way back with, with Agile. So um, uh, like Timon, uh, I'm a developer at Art. I started very early on, uh, like uh, being 16. I remember selling my, my first programs and things like that. Um, I also joined the developer community and started talking and doing presentations and courses uh, around different technologies. And by, I guess, 1998, so in the first uh, era of the internet, I remember having news groups. There, there was no web, actual, actually. And in one of the the news groups I started using and reading, they started talking about XP, extreme programming, and I got hooked. And it was like 
I, I realized many of the things I was trying to to, to do in, in uh, software development were around XP, mostly around automated testing and things like that. So I jumped right into it. Um, sometime after that, doing presentation about XP during the early 2000s, uh, I started doing some XP coaching in some companies. And around 2006, uh, there was uh, the, the, the first CSM class uh, taught in Argentina by Tobias Meyer was uh, scheduled and I was there and I was pretty cocky uh, with, with Tobias because uh, I was like pretty ex uh, skeptic about Scrum because I thought that XP was enough for me or something like that so I, I was pushing him all the time. But after this, the second day, I started realizing that there was a lot of things that Scrum got, especially maybe some, and it, it might have been also Tobias' uh, spirit there, uh, because I found out that there was a, a lot of cultural things around Scrum and things, which were not so strong in, in extreme programming. So I, I started using Scrum, I use it in, in several projects. And over all that time, I kept also teaching uh, different, I, I kept teaching uh, development practices and stuff like that. And then uh, a few years later in 2012, I joined uh, several friends from the Agile community here, and we started Clear, which is my, my company, and we started doing Scrum training. Uh, I'm a uh, um, certified Scrum developer trainer since then. Uh, so we run lots of different uh, trainings, and one of my partners was a CST. Uh, so most of the time, there was no not so much need for me to do it, but it was all always like on, on the back of my mind, becoming a CST and, and, and being able to teach because I co-trained a lot of times uh, CSM and CSTO classes with him. So at some point I decided to start and I guess I started my process like in 2000, uh, 15, something like that. So it took a long time. Yeah. So it, it's that process now I'd kind of like to get into and, and we can all kind of share um, what the similarities and differences were for our own process. But I think we each mentioned kind of like when our official path of becoming a CST started, which is later from when we got involved with Scrum specifically or other agile practices. Um, and if, if someone was to go to the Scrum Alliance's website and find out, they could research this themselves. There are many steps to becoming a certified Scrum trainer. Um, you have to have a number of years experience. As Timon said, you have to walk the walk before you can talk the talk, right? Um, you have to um, show that you know how Scrum works at a fundamental level, um, there's um, involvement in community. There's um, co-training. Martin, you had talked about co-training a bit there. 
Um, so I'd kind of like to dive a little bit deeper into um, into a lot of these steps so that if uh, people are listening and they're thinking, wow, this training idea seems like a, a good fit for me, um, maybe we can help give them some guidance along the way, what we've learned. Um, and in, in all uh, transparency, two of us now on this uh, call are CSTs uh, as of a few weeks ago. The remainder, we're, we're still on the journey, still trying to um, learn from each other and make our applications the best they can be. So with the idea of experience, how can someone who's just starting off with perhaps Scrum, maybe they've been a Scrum master or on a Scrum team for a year or so, and they think this training thing seems like a good fit for them. What would you tell them in terms of experience? I think to be able to have those battle scars and be able to speak to them is really crucial, right? So when I first started my application process, uh, Lisa had told me, fly above the bar. The bar is right? Fly above the bar. And for me, that really resonated because it wasn't the words that was on Scrum Alliance's website that these are the requirements. Like those were just a starting point, right? The growth was so much more in so many other ways. So if I could tell a young Scrum Master, I would say just gather the knowledge, gather the experience, gather those battle scars because that's what's going to be going with you, right? Those stories from the trenches that make you who you are because every experience that we go through it shifts us in, in a little bit uh, to a, a different degree, right? And that makes us a different version of what we were a month ago, a year ago, you know, two years ago, however long. And all of that folds in to your CSG process. It's like when you first start to cook, you are picking, picking items and you're cooking per the recipe. And then when you become a master, like, you don't even measure anything. Like, I, I look at my mother cooking. I don't think she's ever used a measuring cup or anything. Like, she just knows. Like, she can look with her eyes and know exactly what is needed, and it comes out perfect. And if you had asked me five years ago, like, oh, Savannah, you're starting on your, you know, uh, scrum trainer journey. Where are you? I would have given you a totally different answer than now, five years later, because it's so different. It, it's so different than how I look at it, what I see in the things that are even written as far as the guidelines and what you need. So I would just say learn and grow because in the beginning, if you are a one year, two year in the Scrum Master role, all you should be focusing on at that point is learning and growing and gathering those skill sets. Yeah, I'd like to second that and to build upon it. Um, and with Molly, who's also on the tag, um, said at some point in time that it's great if you have a lot of experience in the Scrum roles. You definitely need that. But then if you really want to be a trainer, uh, if you want to be a CST, that's the point. If you want to be a CST, be a trainer first before you try to be a certified trainer. And um, she said that at one of those how to become a CST workshops at one of the Global Scrum Gatherings. I don't remember which one. It could be 2015 or one of the years after. And uh, yeah, and I got that. And at that point in time, I had given some Scrum trainings uh, for clients for one day, for two days, different versions. But then it was, I was mostly working as a Scrum master or, or coach or something in between. And then sometimes I would give a training. And the way she explained it was like, you, you, when you're at the point where you really mostly give trainings, <laughs> then you, you're in a really good position <laughs> to make the next step. 
So, so yeah, that, that was what it was about for me. And that's, that's uh, what I decided at the end of 2018 to not just give training sometimes, but to make it the new main thing. And in 2019, I actually made all my business about trainings. And um, yeah, and so this, this is kind of obvious looking back, but with this thing that Andrew said, like first become a trainer, then become a certified trainer, that made it very clear for me in a single sentence. Yeah, absolutely. And, and complementing what Savannah and, and Timon said, I, I think uh, when some, some people ask me about this, this process, and uh, they are in that position, like uh, being a Scrum Master or mostly Scrum Masters, what I recommend also is that they take the advantage of starting doing training as a part of their Scrum Master role, uh, training some other teams within the organization or, or doing training on some specific uh, practice or things like that because it's a way to find out how good or if you like training and then going on uh, moving at some point like, like Timon did uh, just like becoming a professional trainer so investing a lot of time and making making it Maybe not all your your, your work, but uh, a significant part of your work, uh, because you need a lot of uh, flying hours uh, to, to to be able to present. Even when you part of, of the requisite you have to present is having taught like more than ten multi-day uh, courses and uh, more. Uh, at least a hundred students. So you have to have all that experience. Yeah. And I would like to link link back to that. Um, what uh, what Martin just said. So um, ten is the official minimum, and. Um, and if you've only ever done 10 trainings, I don't think you'll be in, in good shape for this. You should have been, you should have done many more. So last year alone, I did 25. Um, and that was really helpful. And, um, nevertheless, um, I, I got this hint from somebody not to write down everything I did, but to choose 10 important ones with like, interesting that are interesting for the reason that they're co-training with somebody so a variety of co-training so show a variety of other trainings um and yeah and if anyone wants to know more then 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 they will ask and then of course there's more but the idea was have much more experience than you really needed but then still keep the application short enough so, so that the reviewers will not have too much work. They can have a look at it. They will ask if they need to know more. And most areas they are not going to ask about. And then you've saved yourselves and them a lot of time by not writing too much. I love, I love um, thinking of considering the reviewers because they are people who are volunteering their time. They've been through the same process as you. And they're going to um, uh, be interfacing with many more people than just you. So you have to keep all of that in mind. So... That's really great advice. And I remember that at the Scrum Gatherings, they also had those uh, those information sessions, right, where 
they would invite, uh, they would open up for the session, invite whoever wanted to learn more to how to become a certified trainer. And then they'd have a number of CSTs kind of up there on the panel asking questions. I remember Dave Pryor, Angela Johnson, uh, Richard Lee, others who were um, there to answer questions over the the sessions that I'd gone to. What about co-training? So we had talked about the idea of training, uh, getting experience not only on a scrum team, but getting experience as a trainer. But then when did you start reaching out to other other certified scrum trainers to begin what's called co-training? And, and how did that work? How did you find people to reach out to? And were they all receptive? And, and what did a co-training relationship look like? So for me, I started co-training well after I was already a trainer. I think that really helped me in, in making my case. But also when I had reached out, it was not really a cold reach out because it was a lot of relationships that had already built in the background. Right, because I'm heavily involved in the Agile community and in the Scrum community and just being to the conference all the time, it's like they've become part of your family, right? These are your friends and family, people that you're just dying to like meet again, you know, after the six month, twelve month break, whatnot. So it was more of like, Hey, by the way, I'm starting my CST journey officially and I'm looking to co train and I would really love to share the stage and learn from you because based on this and this and this. So when you approach a CST that you ha- has a relationship with you, know your training skills, know your credibility, it's very different. The response is very different. So when I hear people saying like, oh, I'm not getting a CST to be able to co-train with me, I'm like, that doesn't make sense because I co-trained with 18 different CSTs. It does not make sense to me in my mind how you're not able to get a CST to co-train with you. But then what I realized is because they were emailing or LinkedIning people, just cold LinkedIn, like, hey, I'm, I want to be a CST candidate. Will you co-train? And it really started to give me nightmares because um, a couple years back, I was in Canada and I was co-training, not so much in the context of CST, but uh, there was somebody else that was teaching with me. And this was a new trainer And she blew the time box so bad that I had to work so hard to like put everything back together. And even though we had prepped, even though I asked her, she still blew it on the fly. And it made me realize what the CSTs go through when they accept one of one of us, the candidates to be like, Hey, I'm co-training. That's fine. They're literally handing us their brand, their name on a plate, like here, you know, you're holding it in your hand. Because if we mess up, then the students are getting a bad taste, but it's their name that is getting tainted, not the co-trainer, right? So, so much respect came out of that learning. But yeah, it's it's difficult if you're doing a cold, but it's not really difficult if you know them because it's relationship. These are your friends that you're asking like, hey, can I come teach with you? It's a very different conversation. How about Timon? What was your experience? Um, similar. Um, only the very first training I did in the context of Scrum was already a co-training because I teamed up with a friend of mine who was also on a similar journey. That's uh, Anton Skolnikov, who's also a CSD and um, who's been a CSD since 2018. Um, yeah, so so we did a training in 2015 and we did it together. And um, that was the first one. And we kind of like split the topics and uh, prepared and and that one worked well. So um, that was a good start. Then I did a bunch of trainings by myself, and he did a bunch by himself. Then I coded with him a couple more times. 
And um, yeah, then then at least a year later, I reached out to different uh, CSTs. And the first thing I did, I, I went the official way, um, going as recommended uh, through the Scrum Alliance website, asking Scrum Alliance support for, for possible connections because there are CSTs who volunteer to co-train. And they, they suggested some, but for some reason that didn't really work out. There was somebody from Berlin but they had other things on their agenda at that point in time. There was somebody from Poland who only did trainings in Polish, and I don't know what the third, who the third, third one was, but it really just didn't work out. Uh, and then I did it uh, more like uh, Savannah shared. Um, I reached out to people at the Global Scum gatherings or to other people I had some other connection with. And um, yeah, and experiences there were very different. So um, I remember one or two people um, coming back with the Guello protocols and like a long list of all the things you need to have achieved before. And um, and back then, I just wasn't so far on my journey. So I said, yeah, cool, thank you. I'll come back when I have all those things. Yeah. But then there were some others around who um, who just said, yeah, okay, cool, let's do it. And then we just did. So yeah, so different people have a very different <laughs> standard for when they will risk it, I, I guess. One of the pieces of uh, advice or comments that I really like about um, one of the CSDs mentioned to me was that hey, it's not just about you learning from me. I'm learning from you while you teach because there are some things that you really teach really well. I want to learn from that. How do you do that? The stories that you tell, the, the illustrations that you draw and the, the way that you conduct, like, you know, how they, they, you can summarize and then so that it sticks to the participants' brain. It's so important and that's that's something that I felt like, you know, really valuable. So it's not like, you know, just, uh, okay, you know, I want this, but I think everyone is learning from each other, which is, which is phenomenal. Martin, how about you? When you, you talked a little bit about, um, when you started co-training, you had other people in your, in your company that you yeah. were able to co-train with. How yeah. about outside so of me, your company? And yeah, go on. Yeah. I had to find someone from, from another country to come and, and have, like develop some specific opportunities. So I worked with Carlton Nettleton, who is from San Diego, and he he speaks uh, Spanish pretty good. So at some point uh, we get got in contact, and he wanted to improve their Spanish uh, material. So we worked a lot on improving. <laughs> And, and changing things, uh, so we did a lot of pre-work, previous uh, uh, our training opportunity, uh, which I had to to find out and develop a, an opportunity in Chile because that was it was easier there than in Argentina. And then I fly him all the way to, to Chile, and we did it. And something like that we did with Brad Fanson also who is uh, from uh, Denver. Uh, so it was like a, a lot of uh, logistics because I had to, to resort to getting people from, from other countries. But it was really good. Uh, for example, with Carlton, we finally uh, got, uh, became friends, I guess. He 
then moved to Lisbon. So he's uh, also now teaching in, in Portuguese and, and Spanish. So we did a lot of, of fun things. Uh, we had a great time. Um, with Brad, we get in contact from time to time in the gardens. So, so I think something important in the co-training relationship is going beyond the co-training and just starting a relationship with someone who can become like a mentor and a, at some point a colleague. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was really good for me. Yeah, so, so no one clear path. Um, you had mentioned a lot of logistical um, work on yeah. your end, you know, heavy lifting yeah. on your end to get um, Carlton. By the way, Carlton is is who I got my CSM from, my first CSM, first time I went through. Oh, <laughs> um, this is great. I, I love the conversation. We didn't have this talk before, so I'm learning more about it from, from hearing each of your stories, too. Um, what I'd like to do before we move on to specifically the, the last step, which is where we all met on, on the TAC, is is just get a sense of community. And I think it, it came out in, in a bunch of you, but if you could just, if you feel the, the urge, just let us know, like, what, what did community mean for you and do you think it was important for your application? I think for me personally, it was more of, it was already there. And, oh, this requires community. Oh, great. Okay, check. It wasn't something like, oh, this application requires community. Let me go build a community. Because for me, I come from a very large family, right? Like not immediate family. I'm the only child, but like outside, very large, which it feels like all my cousins are my brothers and sisters, like very close knit. So when I look at the Agile community, I really see it as a family. Like I know so many people that would be there if I needed to fall apart. I knew somebody would catch me, right? And that level of trust is built over time. And so when I, for me, because I travel so much, I've not done a local meetup, like created local meetups or things like that, but at a broader global level, like speaking at conferences and just volunteering at conferences, review abstracts, things that you can do on the go, I've done. But even more than that, just mentoring. That has been my go-to. Mentoring the next generation of people coming into IT, coming into Agile, and really pulling that, that group together to create that support system where they can tap into each other whenever they have questions, whether that's VSU related or not, right? So that's, that's kind of where, for me, community was because it ties really close-knit to how I feel about my family. Like, it's like your, your tribe, your go-to support system to be there when you need them. So uh, for me, community includes things that many people have done, like starting sustaining meetups um, and uh, going to conferences, speaking at conferences. Um, so one of the meetups I, I co-created was the Liberating Structures meetup in Berlin, which is still going and uh, attracts many people. The other one is the Large Scale Scrum meetup in Berlin, um, one of the biggest and most active worldwide. We think we have... 1,800 members on, on meetup.com and quite a few actually show up when it happens. Of course, not 1,800, but we have like 30 to 80 people actually showing up when, when we do it, um, outside of Corona times, of course. And, um, and yeah, and there's been some other things. So for, for me, the most connection actually happens at smaller conferences. Um, Play for Agile has been really great. Um, and... Um, because when there are not like 800 people, but only 100, and it's somewhere out in nature, and you really spend a couple of days together in an unconference, it's just more natural to like meet the same people more than once. And 
get to talking and get to know each other. Um, yeah, I really like the small conferences as well. And there's another thing that for me is part of the whole community thing. And uh, that is one thing that we've also talked about um, before we hit record. And that is uh, Retromat. So retromat.org. It used to be at uh, Plans for Retrospectives. Uh, dot com, but now it's at retromat.org. Um, and I've been doing that one together with Corinna Baldauf. And uh, yeah, luckily I've known her from the time when we were both studying. And back then we had already done some web project uh, together, like long, long, long ago. And then at some time she started Retromat and I joined that. And that's really funny because many people use that. And many, many people um, actually recognize me because somewhere on the website there's a picture of me and of all the others who translated and otherwise contributed. And it's really so funny because not only at conferences, but one time I came home from a, from a training in Berlin and I was on the on a, uh, on a train station for one of the trains I wanted to take. And um, it was outside of conferences or anything, right? It was just, just like on a train station and somebody I didn't know came around and uh, like uh, addressed me by my name. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> do I know you? <laughs> and it was, yeah, well, uh, you don't know me yet, but you are the Retromart guy, I don't know, right? right? And, uh, and, then, then, and it turns out he took the same train and then we had, had a while to talk about all kinds of things. And so, yeah, that's, that's really funny. Um, and that happens again and again. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's like programming, but at the same time, it creates connection with people, um, at least for me. Um, that works and it's fun. I still like it. I still have to work on it. We have to move it to new <laughs> hosting and stuff like the normal maintenance work. But for me, it's also part of community. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. a great story. Yeah. Martin. In the case, it was uh, almost the same. I, I started in, in the community a lot sooner than even thinking about that. Uh, indeed, I started getting very deep in the development community at first, and by the mid-90s or something like that. And when we started, indeed, after I did, um, Tobias did the, the first CSM here in Argentina, and he did two or, or three in, in several months. Uh, the, the people who had attended that, started to get, we start to get together and, and start to plan like the first Agile conference here. Um, I don't know why, but at some point we decided it will be another local conference, but a regional conference and we invited people. And in 2018, we ran the first Agiles conference, which is our brand uh, uh, conference that started here in Buenos Aires and then started moving around every, every year. It's held in a different country around Latin America. Um, and last year was here in, in Argentina again, but in, in Rosario, another city. And the, la the last editions have all around a thousand people coming from all over the place. So, and after that, we kept going around. So we started here, the community started moving. And then from this first conference, we start to get together. Uh, actually, Clear, uh, my company comes from people meeting around the community and getting together just to dedicate ourselves 
uh, fully to, to this thing. Um, so, yes, it, it was like, uh, I, I wouldn't have to this point without the community, without getting involved in the community. And I don't think I could be me <laughs> without the community because I spent so much around that. Uh, we organize, uh, uh, I get involved in organizing not only Agiles, but also the Agile Open Camp. Maybe you remember, I, I think, Yurik uh, uh, noticed my t-shirt with the monkeys uh, sometime. And this is a conference we run in Patagonia, uh, which is a, a very small conference. It, it started in Patagonia, but then it went also to Chile, Colombia, and Costa Rica. And last year, uh, the first one was held in Spain also. So we crossed the, the Atlantic Ocean. Um, so yeah, so th there is a lot of, uh, of active community. And we had to, to jumpstart the, the community in Latin America because there, there was nothing going on. So yeah, I think this is really important also because you have a lot of opportunities to to train, to do training, or at least to do workshops or activities and, and get in front of many different people and to know what the, the actual, so getting in, in contact with the community gets you a feel of what the, the market actually needs uh, in, in training and coaching and all that. So it's very important if you are planning to become a, a professional trainer or coach around that, it's very important to get uh, deeply involved in the community because you have a lot of feedback coming from that. Yeah. You know, one trend that I have noticed in the candidates that are successful in going to the interview stage or even going to the actual becoming a CST is people who are not just involved, but involved at a deep level, like Martin, you were saying, it's more of that thought leadership, right? That I'm not just attending a meetup, I'm creating a meetup. I'm not just attending a, a conference, I'm actually creating one or speaking at a conference. So that level, like that's something that kind of is all in, in the candidates that have gone to the interview stage who all have that in common. That's something that as you're talking, I'm sitting here, I was, fascinated. I was like, huh, if you really think about it, the, it that separates the people that are still in the early stages versus the people who are in the late stages because you, we are already deep embedded into the community to bring something good out of it. So, yeah, it's fascinating to hear you talk, Martin. <laughs> I was having lots of like aha moments as you were talking. I'm loving hearing everyone's story. This is really phenomenal. Um, thank you all for sharing. I'd like to now just focus on, on for this last stretch, however much uh, time we have left here, just talk about what it is that we did together in these, um, for me, they were very early mornings. For some of you, they were later in the afternoons, but um, but we got together as a working group to prepare for, for what's called the TAC. Uh, TAC is an acronym. Who knows what TAC stands for? I think it was Trainer Acceptance Committee at some point in time, but then it was changed, changed to Trainer Approval Community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's great that we got together to, um, to kind of practice because that's when you go in front of the TAC uh, and it had been face-to-face -face at all the scrum gatherings, the annual scrum gathering or, um, 
or an Agile Alliance uh, event, uh, there might might have been two or three times where you had the opportunity as a an applicant to get accepted to go in front of the TAC face-to-face. But now in the time of COVID, this cohort that we're in together, I believe is the first one to have uh, have it all become virtual. So now we had to prepare to go in front of the TAC virtually. And so there's, there's still, no matter whether you did it face-to-face or virtually, there's still a kind of a format uh, to it. Um, you come in, you introduce yourself, everyone gets to know each other in the room, and then they ask you questions for 20 minutes or so. There's an open Q&A where they'll ask you about your background and your reasons for becoming a trainer and your methodologies and so on. Um, and then they isolate you so they could discuss what topic would they like to see you teach they tell you the topic, they give you some time to prepare for the topic, and then you come back and you teach a mini session in front of them. And again, that's for 20 minutes, I believe it was. And then they isolate you again, you come back, you do a retrospective. They also um, will do some grading behind the scenes. And finally, you come back to hear the verdict. So I love how we got together and we really focused on that 20 minutes of, of teaching. Martin, do you want to, like, what was your thought about how we ran our format? Yeah, so this was my third interview. So I went, I got my first on uh, on the Agile at San Diego, the Agile conference at San Diego. And the next one was, uh, I guess, last year in Phoenix, no, in Austin, uh, the Garden. And... All these different times, I get to practice with some friends in, in my office or something like that. And it always was great for me to practice in front of a different audience because all we had to prepare to just teach 20 minutes on any imaginable topics that they can throw you at. Uh, of course, it's some Scrum related. It comes from the learning objectives or or the CSM or from the Scrum Guide, but there is no like a clear list of things. So there, there are a, a basic list of things, all the Scrum events and roles and things like that, but then there are some things that can come up. And doing that with, with some other people that were friends or family, it was good. But all the time, I felt that I had to explain a lot of things, and I wasn't completely sure about if they understood completely the process. And doing the same with all you guys was completely different because we all understood perfectly, uh, or at least were much closer to understand what the the actual panel was uh, was trying to read from your presentation, what kind of feedback would they, they try to, to get and and what was the, the focus. And also, for example, we all know very well the learning objectives. So we were trying to to check if the, the other, the, the one presenting and practicing was actually nailing that. So it was great for me. It was, uh, I, I, I think that most of, Anything else, it was like made me me feel much more comfortable at the actual interview because it, it was like I had the interview 
several times the, the past few weeks, uh, the, the previous few weeks. So it was completely different than, than, than the other times. And also it was a, a, a great fun moment talking with each other and, and being in the same, like sharing the same goal together. So it was great. I can totally echo what you just said, Martin. Like it's it's very different practicing with other other candidates versus practicing on family and friends. I feel like I practice on my cat and on my mom so much. Like they, I've fully saturated that pool. But I think so much value came from this group of being able to get the constructive feedback. Like you know what? Change the change the font that you're using when you're writing, or like change that sharpie color because it's not coming out like. Such subtle things, but these subtle nuances are what separates from somebody that's like, okay, I'm okay versus I'm fabulous, right? So that those are the little tiny things. I would actually say something different to that. So, so I didn't really try to practice with friends and family. I went to this, as I mentioned, so last year I went to this in-person practice tech and then then, then uh, this uh, practice tech online and then with the group. And I thought exactly what you guys were just saying. That's kind of what I expected. And so I immediately went for that and I skipped the friends and family part. And... Um, and for me, that actually sent me a bit in the wrong direction in the end. So, um, because, um, yeah, because I, so, so we also made it difficult for each other and that makes total sense. But the question is, where is the difficulty? What, what are the things that you should really practice and be, be comfortable with? And in the practice tech in person, for example, um, some of the experience CSTs did really crazy stuff like try, like looking like they were falling asleep or all kinds of like really intense things and um, uh, or talking over each other multiple times uh, whatever like obvious strong things right um, and uh, I, asked, I asked for some of those uh, things when I was practicing and um, I was comfortable handling those things um, and I was somehow getting the wrong image of like of a, of a group that's trying to make it difficult for me to actually go through a structured um, training sequence. However, um, what tripped me up this time was something completely different. And that is um, after we did our practice time together, I had a couple more days. And then I really focused on details of the learning objectives and the scrum guides. And those are obviously things you should know. And I went very deep into that. Um, and I also realized practicing with Raj um, at some point in time, one-on-one, -on -one, that when I'm given a topic and when I have zero preparation time, like this is your topic, start like now, um, it's very difficult for me to come up with something good. So if I have at least one or two minutes to think like, okay, what are the LOs? How could I structure this roughly? And then, it, then it's much better. So when I realized that, I really went deep into the LOs and everything and practiced recalling all the important things within those first five minutes or so and actually writing them down on sticky notes or somewhere so that when the actual training sequence happens, uh, yeah, I don't have this zero preparation time thing, but rather I have some structure, some idea. And I mean, that does make sense. I would still say that makes sense. However, doing that, I kind of like un unknowingly slipped into this idea that this uh, structure and all the LO details and everything were super important. And they are, but 
acting as if the audience members were complete newbies and trying to really teach it to them as if they had no clue about it, that would actually have been even more important. And ironically, practicing with friends and family could actually help <laughs> with that. <laughs> so so I, didn't, I, I couldn't have put it into words at that time, but I kind of slipped into this thing like, yeah, I mean, of course, they're playing, so the, the tech members, of course, they're playing, they didn't know, but really they do know, and basically they want to see how I teach it, um, which is true to some extent, but acting as if they really didn't know, <laughs> like I do in every normal training, I guess, <laughs> would have made it much easier for me so for me the big difference would have been if i had imagined these are like some standard participants from any of the trainings i do just some random selection of the normal people who come there and some of them have no idea and that would have been a much better frame for me oh well afterwards you know better i guess i i believe i think you know just the fact that everyone got together um and having that regular cadence of practicing together and simulating the actual uh, TAC interview was really helpful. You know, we practiced only the, not the, major, the interview part of it, the first 20 minutes that you go through the actual interview, but we practiced a lot of the, uh, okay, I'm going to teach this topic and taking that five, 10 minutes of prep time, going through that, and then the retrospective was very helpful. Um, especially this, was even more helpful because this was the first time that we were doing it online because of the COVID situation. Um, so little things like, you know, the awkward silences um, or maybe even like my body language on, you know, when you're on Zoom, it's like so specific, like the lighting yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, you know, <laughs> hey, I don't really see, see your flip chart to everything else. That's also true in my co-trainings where I would go and say, hey, you know, write bigger. Like, you know, m m the feedback, that's little feedback that you get from uh, from your co-trainers uh, to the big feedback. Like, but mm -hmm. these are subtle things that where, hey, you know, as a student, you need to be able to see it from the last student who is sitting in the last table or chair should be able to see that. And all those things, you know, made a big difference from an online perspective as well. Yeah. I, I don't know, you know, if, there may be a few more online tech interviews uh, in, in the future. <laughs> uh, who knows? You know, it may become virtual at some point, right? Yeah, uh, I, I think you're right. I think that for me, doing it online, at first I was in, in one room, kind of the room where I'm standing now. It's very busy background and everything. But I'd been doing some of my online trainings in this space. And then the feedback right. I got from, from this group was hey for the for the tech it'd be nice if you were in a less distracting background and from that I've then transitioned my actual training to that quieter space too and I think it's it's benefited me overall and and going back to the feedback you said the levels of feedback whether it's big improvements or seemingly really small improvements just every day the fact that we presented to each other every day and and we were kind of nitpicky i think at times we were really giving each other fine-grained uh feedback i think that was very helpful overall yeah and one of the things that um you know there's a, there's sometimes information that you gather from multiple people you know uh, you know when you go to conferences or when people are on the same path like you know going on a, a csd journey there's some misinformation sometimes 
people think that oh the tax may be um, hard on you or like you know they might try to ask all these questions uh, to you know I don't know to derail you or like you know to do things like that but that's actually not true what I found is that the tax is trying to help you ask the right question so that you don't go off track and that's what I got from the the, the recent um, interview that I had you know and that's so important to know that they are there to help you not to act them they want to make sure that you know you go you become a great trainer you know obviously you know there, there's this nerves that you it, it's very hard you know it, it, it's just like any other interview right you're nervous and so just to be even prepare for something like that uh, anything that can help to improve your craft and it's not just one thing and I look at the paper application and I say those are some of the eight things that you you need to work on that's like a soup starter that's what they say mm. and it is true because you have to look at all aspects of it and then improve on all of those things um, at the end of the day if you want to be a brand ambassador to, to scrum alliance to teach a, a course like this it's so important to be really good at like you know not just knowing the scrum knowledge but answering questions and making sure that you make it a worthwhile experience for people to come to your class um, it's not just like you know back in the days I used to do PowerPoint presentations with technology courses and you know but scrum teaching scrum is different and that's where the passion comes for me is uh, to, to kind of you know say okay you know this can be taught in a in a different way multiple ways you know uh, each instructor is so different just from my co-training experiences as well I've seen everyone has a different style everyone has a different way of teaching uh, which is great so you, you can learn from all these experiences and I've learned a lot from all these experiences yeah and it's it's hard to say like what <clears throat> what works for one person might not work the best for another person too. But, but we're hearing like we all get something else out of it. I remember the first time I went and, and trained in, in front of this group, I was a train wreck. It was, it was just a mess. It was, it forced me to really kind of like think critically about what I'm going to be doing in front of the tack. Some kind of just open it up and see if there's any messages that you'd like to share at this time. And, and we'll just see where this goes. Yeah, yeah, something that I also found really valuable of our group was like a, like like collecting a lot of small details about the experience of, other, of previous candidates uh, throughout time in different uh, in different times and in different uh, countries because, for example. We shared uh, several information about the how important was to actually mention or not the learning objectives or how to uh, answer. I, I, I'm not sure that it was factual information that you have to know, but it was a lot of information just to think about. So about how to answer several different type of questions in the interview and 
and how to mention or how to prepare your retrospective. There, so all the thinking around that beyond the actual practice was very helpful for me because I had a lot more preparation on, on, on my mind than the previous two times. So I find really valuable to to have this level of discussion. I I didn't have so much. Uh, so I didn't have other candidates around me because being in Argentina, where uh, the, the, there is very little people, I didn't have this kind of exposure. So for me, it was really really worth. So one thing I, I would like to mention for the Slack channel right now, we are keeping this to candidates that are going for the interview. So people that have already passed their application phase and they are now in the phase of going for an interview. So those are the people that that are on the Slack. If you are listening to this and if you're at the stage of where you're like, okay, I'm about to submit my application or I have submitted and I'm waiting, whatnot, um, I do have a Facebook group called um, To the Journey for Your CST and that one has been running for quite a few years now and it's open to anybody that has an active CSP and have started on their path toward their CST journey. Um, so welcome to join that group. Um, but if you are at the level of interviewing or going for an interview, do reach out to any one of us, whether it's Martin or Timon or myself, Vic, um, Raj or Andy, any one of us reach out and we will add you to the Slack channel if you are a candidate for interview. And the Scrum Alliance has been really helpful too. Um, I've been working with uh, Senya, um, others within the Scrum Alliance who are shepherding applicants through the process will be able to point out these references. Um, you had mentioned um, Andy and uh, was it um, uh, Bjorn who actually uh, created a, a, a page on Medium about the, uh, the, trainers, the trainer's kata, he called it. But I think I learned about that also through the Scrum Alliance uh, before I heard about the Slack group and and, and other things too. So if you're in the process, um, don't worry, they will be very communicative. But if you're looking for more resources, I'll put uh, the link to the Facebook group, the Retromat, uh, the Scrum Alliance's CST page, and uh, some of these other resources on the website, Agile Coffee slash episode 68. I want to thank one more time each of you for participating today. Uh, wish you continued success on your journey wherever you're at. Um, one more time, though, uh, Martin Silias, Timon Fidike, and Savannah Riot, uh, Raj Kasturi, uh, all of you, I want to thank you also for just being a part of my journey, too. I think it's been a, a really amazing experience to be with you all. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, B. Thank you. All right. And with that, I want to thank our listeners um, once again. Enjoy your coffee with friends. <laughs>